All right, so I want us to think about this, you know, we've talked about kind of the positive sides of leadership and the positive sides of, you know, I even asked about grandfathers and fathers last week. I want us to think about some negatives. I know, we don't want to be negative, but um, uh, why, I want you to think for a moment, why do bosses or managers or CEOs, essentially those that are not entry-level uh, workers, um, what are reasons that they lose their jobs? Or get fired. We can say it that way. <laughs> so, okay, lack of results. Okay, do not want to do what someone above them wants to do. Insubordinate, I guess you could say that word. Okay. What's that? That can happen at any level. Yes. Theft, okay. What's that? I was going to say embezzlement. Embezzlement, it's a softer word than but just flat out stealing. So, abuse, okay. They check out. What's that? Resignation. Quiet quitting. Oh. Okay, I was like, well, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Uh, is that in the hopes of getting, it's quiet quitting, like, to get fired in order to get, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> Reorganization. Providence. Providence. <laughs> it's probably all of those, right? <laughs> What's that? Okay. Okay. Doesn't fit with the organization. Okay. Yeah, and there's there's lots of things that you could probably think about. You know, um, when it comes to those that <clears throat> what like is that what was the the straw that you know caused them to um, be asked to leave uh, their their place of employment, and so various reasons. So we want to kind of think when we're, we're talking about the church, and Paul starts talking about these, uh, the idea of not only just leaders, um, but those that do the service within the church. Um, what, are, what are some ways to avoid that, that aspect? Because essentially, you know, uh, the church doesn't operate in the sense where people are hired and fired. But there are these ideas of, again, organizational structure within the church, and that's what we're going to continue looking at, 1 Timothy 3. And so last week we looked at you know, some, some kind of positives of what Paul was saying that the church should look, look for. Um, and again, this is all in the context of, you know, I would say, when he's writing, he's writing, and, and the words that we looked at, even when we looked at Acts and the historical things he said, and even you know, in, to Titus as well, is that he's writing... Because they're appointing elders in different churches. Um, elders had already been established at Ephesus, which we, we already saw. And so those that, that want to be a part of this eldership, part of this overseer group, um, is for the protection of the church itself, right? He said multiple times that knowing that people will come in and want to take over where there is a lack of leadership, he wants to define clear guidelines and objectives, right? And so we know that leadership is important in any organization. And so where a business might excel with someone who is, let's say, an unscrupulous visionary, um, the church is not the same, right? Because the church is different than a business. Often there's overlap when we think about that because that's kind of the economy of how we think about structures and organizations. But the church is similar, right? But distinctly different. Because, again, a business's aim is, while well, yes, serving their customers, but a business's aim is essentially to either... Um, uh, to at least be financially solvent, but most businesses are in the business of making money, whereas a church, right, is in the business of doing the work of Christ. And so that's kind of what, you know, 
has to be, again, the central mission, this central unifying idea. And we've talked about that over the, like, not just only 1 Timothy 3, but previously to that, what is each believer's focus is to be kind of humble and submissive to Christ, but then humble and submissive to one another. But there are definitely needs that need to be taken care of within the church as people come together. And so how do we, how are we able to do that effectively under the headship of Christ? And so without defining what those things are, then leadership, people will just step into leadership. Um, we'll say, like, I'll do that. Uh, I think I've mentioned, not that it's probably a bad, bad uh, um, thing to describe, but uh, when we were in San Diego, uh, the pastor stepped down at the church. And there was, like, several of us that were, there was no elder board. It was kind of that CEO model of a church um, where there were, he had kind of a, I don't know, let's call it just a leadership group. And so several were paid pastors and several were volunteer pastors. And so I was one of those volunteer pastors. Um, uh, I was in charge of doing like uh, dramas and videos and things like that. Ha ha ha. We can talk talk about that another time. (laughs) So I was one of those seeker people that got you engaged, you know. And so I was a volunteer, uh, you know, person on that leadership. Well, the pastor um, stepped down. And it was kind of this weird thing where he was like, I'm stepping away and uh, you guys do whatever you want with the church. And so it kind of let this like, well, what do we do? And so um, there was there was actually like the one of the paid associate pastors was going to step into that role. But the lead pastor who left said, well, I'm going to go get counseling. And in you know a few months, I'll come back and take the church over. And they were like, well, you don't get to just say you're coming in and taking over the church. And he's like well, this is my church, you know, type of thing, meaning like I had planted this church and, and all of that. And so they, all the paid people were like, well, we're quitting. So it all fell down to like the three leadership per people. And so I think I was, you know, one of them. There was another woman who was, uh, you know, a doctor. Um, so she had a full-time job and I think was in charge of like hospitality. And I can't remember the third guy. He did dental sales. So all three of us were like stepped in to, uh, to like lead the church and I was preaching on Sundays like how do you do this and so it was a it was a whole like yeah, we could we could spend an hour talking about all the things that we learned you know from that but when it comes to like if there's no leader like who steps in and everyone's just kind of like I don't know so there's a bit wisdom here right of setting up kind of like what who what the leadership should be and there were a lot of people even in kind of like trying to establish the leadership there were a lot of people that kind of came into this, I'll just say, quote-unquote, vacuum that was like, well, this is how you should run the church. And very people, some people with strong ideas and strong opinions. Um, and so how do you know, right, things they say are biblical, but how do you know that they aren't just ter- twisting Scripture to their own ends? And again, like I said, I could talk for a while on that because there were several people that were like, well, this is how things should run based on this Scripture. And we were consulting other pastors, and it was like, ah, that's not really like, you know, how, how Scripture should be interpreted. Again, this is coming from a church where we weren't really grounded in scripture um, because of our philosophy. So anyway, that being an aside, kind of is a personal example of like what happens, but you see that in a lot of other churches. And so Paul, just knowing, right, this idea of elders has kind of been around in Jewish culture, but elders is important for, um, these overseers are important People need to oversee the church because if people aren't overseeing the health of the church and making sure that those that are unscriptural aren't coming into leadership roles, um, that could be a problem for the church. And so that's where, he, where he, he's gone for the first two verses. I honestly didn't think I would spend this much time on these two verses, but I can't think back other than seminary when I've heard, you know, teaching on this specifically, um, kind of in this depth. So, and like I said, we could go deeper than that. So that's kind of what pulled, has pulled me in a little bit and just kind of like thinking through this a little bit more. So verses one and two, first Timothy, Paul says the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That's where we, we ended up, 
Okay, And so, again, this idea of overseer, which we've seen in different contexts, is kind of also um, applied to this group of elders, uh, are these qualifications, right, to be kind of free from accusation, to be stable, to be looked at with esteem, that treat others well, and then to be able to teach others. That kind of like how we would maybe define some of those terms. And so, after giving some of these positive qualities, now Paul looks at some negative things to, to consider. You know, as I said, what are some positive qualities in the past? We're looking at kind of some negatives. And even if we think of why people lose their jobs, especially leaders, there's the negatives that we want to be aware of. But again, we don't apply the same thing. Um, there is overlap, but for, for within the church context, Paul lays out a few things. So verses three through five, we'll see a few negatives. Verse three says, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his house, own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Verse 5, For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Okay, so that first qualification, not a drunkard. So a drunkard is one who drinks too much wine. Or in, not to be spelled as how we would normally think it, a whiner um, without the H, right? A whiner. Someone who drinks wine is known as a, you know, a whiner, right? We would say somebody who takes drugs is a druggie. Somebody who parties is a partier. This is a person who is known as a reputation as indulging in wine is a whiner. That's how they would be described, right? Remember Paul in Ephesians 5, again, Timothy is in Ephesus, kind of talking to them, said not to get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this might be an issue that, again, Paul says this because this is, might be a category that was rampant in Ephesus or something that would have been qualified or something that the people struggled with. So he's mentioned this idea specifically about drinking wine um, in this context. Again, there could be a uh, cultural issues. There could be ceremonial issues from coming from a pagan background. We're just not quite sure. And some you know, step in and say one thing or another. But again, that's just a qualification that people, you know, that Paul says. So why is that something that you think is something to, uh, to establish, right? Not to be known as someone who indulges in wine, or that's how they are categorized. Okay. So true, it would impair your judgment. So definitely, if you're going to oversee the church, if somebody who is impaired, can they oversee even in a physical sense? Would you want a shepherd who's watching the flock to be known for somebody who uh, indulges in drink, like a security guard. Would you want a security guard, you know, getting drunk on the job? So no, but more importantly, right, that's one thing. So for the, for the qualifications and the position itself, but also um, if somebody is known by that, that's kind of almost like who they are as part of their character, right? If that's how they are known as known as somebody who drinks, um, I remember when I was, uh, I've mentioned before that I've, you know, traveled different fraternities and that was a part of a job that I had, um, you know, speaking spiritual truths into them. It was great. Um, one, of the, one of the things that our job required was of all of the people that went is we couldn't have alcohol with the people that we were going to. Seems like a smart thing, but it had to be clear and had to be said. And so I, will, though, would go out with the, them because, you know, usually during the day they're in classes and so... I would want to spend time with them, get to know them. I'm with them with a few days. And so I'd go out to bars with them. I would just hang out and get to know them. Often they would buy me drinks, and I would just place them off to the side. And I remember I was in Santa Barbara, and this, this one guy was like, man, you were really drunk last night. And I was like, I think that was you. And he's like, yeah, I guess it was me. <laughs> But there's kind of, there's an idea, right? There's this association, right? That it was like, you know, sometimes you're going to be associated with people in that way. And so there's a kind of clear lines that should be drawn. But there's also like a reason why there, there are, your qualifications aren't like that. I remember that same guy, you know, at one point in, you know, a few days later had something. It was, it was kind of odd because I was only a few years older than him. But I think for the fact that I didn't drink with them um, was the fact that like they, uh, like he had said something like, oh, maybe I would be, you know, I'd want to be a consultant one day because I don't know, you just carry yourself well. And I, it was something like that. And I just, I think it was like, he just didn't know any differently. And so, um, 
that was how you behaved, you know, and, and that's how you looked. And so for, for an elder, right, or an overseer that needs to be a part of who you are, but you don't want anything that will, will make you um, with blame, you are above reproach or spotless. In Matthew, right, the same accusation was leveled against Jesus. Matthew eleven eighteen, Jesus says, For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. So John didn't do any of that, and they say he's, he's got a demon. Verse 19, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Right? So, you know, Jesus was with those that were sinners, and accusations are going to fly even at Jesus himself, but there needs to be like, yeah, but there's no truth in that. That, you know, and, G- and Jesus said, right, wisdom is justified by her deeds. And I love that verse because, right, time and truth go hand in hand um, is kind of a, a way to kind of think about that. So, um, in addition, right, there's some, some cultural things that some, some might, might establish, right, that, you know, elders don't drink at all. But again, the bigger consideration is that he's not known for getting drunk, right? That would be a clear red flag that is a part of this list that Paul says, if he's known for that, he's probably not the person that should be a part of, a part of this group. And again, a lot more that we could say about, about that uh, in this context. Go for it, yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, that's true too. That's true too. Um, it, yeah. Why it's why it's on this list in that way, you know, is is interesting. But I think it's kind of again probably more of a cultural thing, yeah. right? That even people in the church, right, were drinking, and it was don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Right. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. And again, that's again, that like how what's what's again the um, the understanding looking out because because also while Timothy, we don't know how long Timothy's there in Ephesus. Again, Paul spent several years in Ephesus, but the, his missionary journeys, he didn't spend more than a couple weeks and needed to appoint elders. And so I think there's clear things that even like asking around would be things like, well, what's he known for? Even in the short term that you're around them, you know. What are they known for? How do they look? And so these are things that they can kind of like winnow out. Again, like I said, as like a red, a red flag as like something not. The next one is similar, right? Is it says that to not be violent. And violence in this sense is, is someone who is a striker, like somebody who hits someone or also known as a bully. So it seems kind of almost like, you know, yeah, that seems obvious why that's not on there. But why do you think Paul puts that within the context? One, it could be right from the outside. Um, again, if like, yeah, this guy's known for fighting, then probably not, not a good job to, you know, come to the elder meeting with bruises on his face. Um, but that's, that's, there's probably more than that, right? Why, why would that be something? He gets to it a little bit more in just a second. So maybe we'll just wait. So you could think about that. We'll just say, you think about that. We'll get to this in just a second with kind of like more uh, the next qualification. Well, he says not violent, but then he gives kind of like a replacement. He says, but be gentle, which in our minds would be the, you know, what would be the opposite of violent? We might say gentle. So I don't know if the translation is necessarily the best translation, although it's okay. But I think sometimes in our English understanding, gentle is not... um, not quite right, because it's a word that is upon and reason. So sometimes it is translated as reasonable, maybe fair-minded or tolerant. And tolerant might be also kind of a good understanding. But really, this idea about reasonableness is something that 
then, then kind of contrasts this idea with being violent. And so several times this word gentle that comes up is either paired with being violent or being unjust. And you do the opposite. You are reasonable or you are gentle or tolerant. Um, and it's often paired with being good, gentle and good, or gentle and then another word that is translated as reasonableness, but I think gentle is a little bit more uh, along that. And we'll see in just a little bit in, in, at, the, at the end in a different chapter that Paul says that an elder is not to do anything from partiality. And so um, that would be kind of an important one. And we'll unpack this again in just a second. I want to pull these kind of three ideas together. Because then Paul says after that, that they are not to be quarrelsome. And so someone who is not a, uh, one who disputes and not quarrelsome also is somebody who kind of works to make peace. Uh, so let's think about like why those ideas are important for somebody who is an overseer of the church to be not a bully, not quarrelsome, you know, getting in disputes. That's kind of like what they're known for, but to be reasonable and tolerant and fair-minded. Why are those good qualities? I mean, we would say like, yeah, those are good qualities nonetheless, but specifically for an overseer. Yeah. You can have no teamwork if you're just aggressive. And uh, my mindset is pugnacious. Okay. Yeah. Quarrelsome. You simply can't have any form of teamwork whatsoever. The church is not a business, but there's this idea as a body that working together. That yeah. cannot happen. If it's there in the leadership, it just trickles right on down to the rest of the body. Yeah, so you got this idea, right, amongst themselves, right? Because what's the goal for the entire church? Unity, right? Yeah, we keep saying that, so good job, good job, class. Right, so it's unity. It doesn't distinguish, again, from, from those that are overseeing, but to be like-minded, if, if there are those that continually want to dispute, um, continually want to uh, be aggressive, and if even those that want to get to the point of, of fighting over it physically um, is not something that is um, going to be helpful in pointing people to Christ. So one is, yes, within like them, themselves, that's important qualities. But then even beyond that, why are they important qualities? What's that? Because people are frustrating. People are frustrating? Yes, exactly. Right? What's, what's again, like that the goal is to, to kind of oversee the flock, to kind of, you know, um, make sure the church is not allowing those that are coming in and teaching uh, wrong things. So they must be able to teach. They must be able to dispute. And so they're going to get into um, confrontations with people. And if those confrontations are going to provoke somebody to get physical over it, I mean, even even in our society, right, it's one thing to, like, have an argument with words, but then once, like, it becomes physical you can get arrested, right? And so we understand that within the, the context of the church, it doesn't do anything, any, anyone any good. It also, right, uh, puts a stain on the church. And so somebody needs to be reasonable and understanding, right, why do people bring sinful attitudes and behaviors within the church? Yeah, because they're human or because they're sinners, right? And so there's several places in Scripture that Paul is, you know, says, um, right, that we, especially like in 1 Corinthians where he says, within the church, right, we keep ourselves to a higher standard. But outside the church, right, people are not held to that standard because they're not in Christ. So we might like shake our heads and say, why do people act that way? But we know people act that way because they're sinners. And so those people that are within the church already, um, you know, and especially those that want to take more of a role in getting others to think similarly, uh, you need to be engaged with them, and that needs to be part of, like, who you are, and more importantly, how you respond. 
So probably on both sides, you know, who knows again what Paul, right? He's just throwing words out here um, and we're kind of parsing them. But again, just stop and think not only amongst themselves, but within the church qualities that uh, would, again, be reflective of Christ and not be um, disruptive. The next thing he says is not a lover of money or, or as is, you know, in the Greek, not a friend of silver. So why do you think that would be helpful to have as kind of an understanding? So, not a friend of silver. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Which uh, is not an accident. They're, they, they were, they, they've made that their goal and they've been successful in doing it. So I, I think again, the leadership could start to go, hey, we can make a lot of money off this. We're right. <clears throat> right. What's that? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that again is, is those that are, you know, several, several reasons for, um, why this would be, you know, a qualification is again, if your his heart is, you know, on, on building wealth, right. Probably your heart is divided in, and not to be in this position of overseeing the church. So it's, it's one of priorities. Um, and we've talked a little, you know, about that as well. You know, Jesus said, can't love money and God can't serve both. And so that's part of like, again, maybe as Tim was alluding to, like where your heart is. Um, but also, right. Uh, those that may be stepping in, why would anyone step in and be like, Hey, you know, start teaching, um, things that are maybe contrary to scripture within the church. It would almost be like, once you find people who are more like-minded, um, there's several reasons that it could be. It could be like, a following. It could be, um, you know, again, uh, wanting others to hear, you know, believe the same as you. But there is a, a far greater temptation, right, is that being in a place of prominence um, yields also a place of um, influence. And that influence can be, you know, even as, as Greg was saying, could be um, exacted over uh, those under your care for your own gains. So something to kind of like, you know, Paul, that Paul says, you know, think about that again, as you're, as you're kind of looking through and thinking about who, um, what are the qualifications for someone who would be this noble task? And then he says, they must be able to manage their household well. Okay. And so that's really like that exactly how it's translated, leading or managing a house itself. Um, and so sometimes a steward, uh, is, is sometimes a translation. Um, and that is again, how, uh, you know, Titus describes, or Paul describes to Titus, um, an elder or overseer. Um, and he says, you know, to be able to manage your household well with dignity. So again, above the ordinary kind of rises, uh, somewhat as looked up to, um, this word with dignity, if it's described as a deity or a God, it's kind of this idea of even worship. Um, and so the, you know, maybe the extrapolation of that is as a father is to a child, 
um, where a father should be revered within the household, then that's applied to how the fathers of the, the, the church should be looked at um, within the household. So this idea of, again, just above commonplace, but even with dignity. So, you know, who's your, who's your hero if you asked a child that? It should, you know, a lot of times they'll say they're their fathers or their mothers, the people they look up to because that's closest to them. Um, if that holds true, <laughs> even, even to the point where they make it through their adolescence, um, you know, again, that's kind of the idea of, of what we see here. And the children should likewise be submissive. Um, and so we've talked about this idea even in Ephesians 5 or 6 specifically, um, looking at, you know, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And so Titus, or Paul says to Titus, um, they must not be known for debauchery or insubordination. So not only just submissive, but even their character can't be wild or out of control. Um, So the kids will listen and respect their father and do what he says. That's essentially what he is getting at. So why are all these? Why why is this the case? I mean, Paul will say it, and we'll kind of take it in this direction. But why again is that that qual those qualities of within the household um, should be important? Okay. Yeah, and that's, that's exa- exactly where he takes this, right? Because that's where he says in, in verse 5, um, right, where Paul says, um, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? And so the household, right, for a, a single person is easy to manage yourself. And then with you and in, in a spouse, right, like, you know, understand that level, I think, I think we all do, is even when we talked about it a little bit for when Ephesians 5, is when you have a spouse, you realize, like, you know, maybe I'm not always right. <laughs> when you're single, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm always right. I said maybe, perhaps. I mean, <laughs> woman in the background. <laughs> so, yeah, so when you get married, right, there's, why? Because, like, you know, there are things about you, right, that you realize, like, oh, well, you know, maybe not everybody does it the way I think that we should do it. And when it comes to your household, right, once you have kids, it's like, now I have somebody who's relying on me, and so that even just kind of even expands, like, your <laughs> your character and abilities. And so Paul Paul uses that, right, the household, not like how you do in your 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 work life or your or your business, as like the main proving ground, just as Ashley said, um, in order to understand. So if you want to kind of get to know someone, kind of get to know like them and their family and see how that looks, right? And they need to be able to demonstrate um, this. So again, some age or maturity, right? We've already talked about that, that term elder kind of comes with it with age, but really that, that term comes from a Hebrew term, um, or in Hebrew the term elder comes from a word that means somebody who is bearded. Uh, so they at least need to like be able to grow a full beard. You know, so if you can't grow a full beard, you know. but that was, again, if you just think like, you know, culturally, I, I haven't done an in-depth study, like facial hair in Jewish cultures, you know, um, did the older men typically have beards? You know, that was again, a sign, but that was, that was kind of where they, they got that from. So, um, although, you know, there was always that guy who was like 16 years old that could grow a full beard, you know, you're like, what is with that? <laughs> As a 16-year-old, you envied that. So, not not you ladies. But anyway, um, moving on. So, 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 so that's... So, again, as we've got to pause, right? You know, a man is not to be considered for, you know, or, or at least um, known for some of his outwardly excessive behaviors, such as getting drunk, 
or getting into fights or being quarrelsome, right? If, if somebody's name is brought up, you know, and those are some immediate things, because you could probably think, right, especially maybe when you were younger, you had friends that you knew, right, that they were like, if you just summarize them in one word or two words, right, it was some of the ones that stood out in a negative light. And Paul says, right, we, you know, that, that clearly is something that uh, should not be um, someone who is an overseer of the church. So again, when Paul puts them on the list, he includes again the obsession with money or wealth. And then in addition, this person has demonstrated success in his own home. Um, and there's been a whole lot of, you know, what does that look like and how old do the kids need to be and, you know, all of that. But at least like, this needs to be kind of understood um, as far as what that looks like within the context of the church. These are the markers for an overseer or elder. All right, anything before moving on? Yes. For the word dignity itself? Yeah, so Yeah, so the the term is cause them to be in a submissive submissive relationship. So it would it would similarly, right, when it's like masters, you know, make sure you treat your your um your slaves, your servants well. Uh I think it's the same idea that again, if you were to look at this business, right, that how they are treating the master is reflective of not of how the master also treats them as well. So to be in a submissive relationship, again, well, the way I said it is that, that they listen to and respect their father. And even like, yeah, that's, that's, again, how I would kind of apply those terms in, in a way that is helpful for us to understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. Not, not, again, in going back to, right, Ephesians 6 is, is kind of, again, not provoking them to anger, right? Again, that would be kind of what we looked at as understanding and maybe even companion uh, to what Paul is saying. Do you have something to say, Chris? Or no? We look at your glasses. I don't know. So, okay. So, <laughs> now that we all know that. Mm-hmm. What's that? Yeah. And I, I think that's a great question because then how do you apply this? And even these were, and that's kind of almost why, like, I wanted to spend a little bit extra time because. What we know about churches are what we've experienced. And what we experience is just how, like, well, this is the way that our church did it, and I was there for years. And so you kind of, like, adopt almost. It's hard to, like, see these things without having a lens through which you see them because this is how you experience things. You experience, like, practices within the church, such as baptism and the Lord's table, how it should be administered, how often it should be administered, all of these things. And even the leadership, similarly. So, yes, you know, there are our churches that have structures differently, and we might get into it a little bit next week when we then start talking about kind of what deacons look like and how those kind of, like, come together and that understanding. But should, should an elder step down, right, that's for the church to decide. But I do think 
it's something to understand is why would that might be a wise thing, right? If you have not only like how you're able to manage your household, but if a child is rebellious, it almost seems like in a you know, season of life, right, where you're having struggles with your family, is that your family should be a priority at that moment. So whether that means like, what does that look like, an elder stepping down or stepping away? And I think those are great considerations because there are things that, these are qualities about somebody that shouldn't necessarily change, but we'll see that there are qualities that come out later that you realize that might not have, that might disqualify them from being an elder. So in this case, right, some have it where if it's while they're within the household or living in the house, like how do you apply that in America's standards, right? Uh, and some would say, well, when they become adults, then this no longer applies, right? Some elders feel convicted that even my adult children, you know, reflect this verse. And so how a church applies it might be a little differently, but I think a church should be able to defend the reasons that they have, you know, certain um, uh, practices in place. Just like even when I said, like some churches might say, well, we want all of our elders not to, you know, to abstain from all alcohol, um, whereas other churches might not have that. I think you need to defend why you're doing that, and is it coming from a place of scripture is it coming from a place of like experience and culture? They do influence, but that doesn't shouldn't be primary. Um, so, yes, what do you do with an unruly child? I think that's important to say. I think it's almost wise to say that those that are like it's hard to oversee the church when you've got an issue. So that's why there's also should be overseers um, to help with that as well. That your you know removal or your time stepping away. Um, shouldn't, you know, take away from the oversight of the church. I was in a church um, where uh, they were selected the pastor and the elder, I guess it was the elder, uh, they were looking at a man, many wanted a certain individual who was a well-known um, man at that time in that circle, I guess. And he had one, his eldest son, was somewhat rebellious, about 16 years old, and many people used that as a reason for not selecting him. He didn't, when he did not get the position, later on, the, the son was, uh, got worse, and he did put in prison. Um, so I don't know the relationship between the father and the son, but he did have three other children who seemed to be real, you know, real good kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think those are sometimes where we get to like we lose sight, right, of like what um I'll say this. I well no, I won't say this. So I'll 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 leave it for whatever because there's a whole lot of like weeds we can get into and kind of sticky situations you get into, but I want us to just kind of step back and think, um, you know, there are a variety of roles within the church. Um, when it comes to certain functions within the church, and we'll, we'll uncover this a little bit more next week, especially, like I said, when we get to the term deacon, because that has a, a term that has been applied in culture, you know, our cultural understanding, specifically in the Southern Baptist Church, and what people understanding of that is. And I'll say even with myself, <laughs> recent study, like my recent study of it is like, Maybe there's just there's something about this term that um, you know has has a different not necessarily a different application, but there's more to it than like just passing over it within a few verses. And so we'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, yeah. And so uh, so right or wrong, we'll uh, we'll leave that to kind of like put off the side. And I, we can talk talk more specifically about that. But hopefully we'll we'll kind of enter into that. A little bit into that ground about how we can be thoughtful about these things. Yeah. In that vein of, say, disciplining a child, do you think that that discipline of the child has lessened in contemporary society from when it was, say, I don't know, you can't think of when I was a child because you know, we were in Oxford, 
Right. It seems to me that it has, and it's less that there was that uh, disciplining the child today. Uh, it, I would imagine that most people would take the child out of the room, maybe to a restroom or something, shake their finger out of them, maybe give a spanking if that's what they did. They wouldn't do it in public, but they might have done that in previous times. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, just real, real quickly, I mean, on, on that idea is probably, but if you go back to applying it, like, at this time, you would just even think, like, what were, how, what were, how were children, like, um, like, what was their relationship to parents? Like, they would have been raised by them, taught by them, instructed by them. They didn't send them off to schools, you know. So, like, children were much more... Uh, under the care of parents where much more so, you know, a child could say, I haven't seen my dad in a few days. I mean, unless that person was a soldier or maybe, you know, had those business interests, a merchant. But by and large, you know, so the way that our society has developed is a little bit different in how we apply that. What's that? It does take a village. Can we live in villages, right? So... Yeah. <laughs> All right. I know this music says that we're about to end, but we've, I've got a couple more verses that I want to get to. We'll try to pull it together and just kind of have our thoughts around it. We can unpack it a little bit more because um, otherwise we're, gonna, we're never going to leave. So verse six, he must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Okay, so that recent convert is neophyte. Um, So, not new to following Christ. So, why do you think somebody who's new to following Christ will be puffed up with conceit? They got, they got it right. They got the answer. You put into a position of uh, authority Yeah. Yeah, and you you know, really you don't have anything us. You know, the idea of puffed up could almost be like you think of air, right? And that was almost be like what's what's your strength is it's a facade. Um so instead of like a foundation that's been built over like study, experience, practice, all of those things, somebody who is new might just be relying on intuition and observation. Um while there are you know, certainly there are people who could fall into that category that could do well. It's not something that is, uh, is preferred. And again, we could talk like application to that. How did Paul look at that, especially when he was going to new churches and having to establish elders within only a few months? Well, again, what was their history and being brought up in you know, a Jewish understanding? And so he's leaning on some of those things. It, how do you apply this to those that are in, in, uh, to missionaries in places where you know, a lot of, I mean, a friend of mine who was in Honduras, like, a lot of the people that were going to the church were, were women. There's only a few men. And so even those men, right, so you didn't have too many to choose from, like what, did that, what does that look like? So things that you can, can uh, think about. And he says that, that those people will fall into the condemnation of the devil, meaning the condemnation that befell the devil, right, their pride is being a similar fate that Satan, you know, fell, that he elevated himself to, well, not even too quickly, but he elevated himself to a place that was not for him. And so judgment came upon him. Additionally, it says, thought well of outsiders, meaning a good testimony from the outside, meaning a good witness from those that are outside of the church. And so, um, you know, he doesn't put up a front. And so, uh, you know, eventually he says, Otherwise, this person would fall into disgrace or into a snare of the devil. Um, so why would that be important for those outside the church to think well of this person? Well, 
Yeah. And there's things like, you know, we can think about that even, um, you know, how, what a neighbor would say about that person, right, would, would be something reflective of, you know, who that person is outside of, even within the context of within the church. How are you outside of the church? What do people think of you? And again, it doesn't mean they need to, like, <laughs> Uh, believe what you believe, right? But it's at least they understand your character and who you are. That this is, again, not something that would eventually come out that you are a different person. Yeah, and even that higher standard, right? Because it could end up being something that that the devil uses as you know. Because what does the what does what Satan say? He points to right uh, our flaws, or he points to even things that could be perceived as flaws um, to make accusation, right? That's Satan's term, right? The accuser um, that we are not worthy, but within the church, if that has a ripple effect that's even something that could be more detrimental, especially in this, this uh, oversight and observation. So, all right, we'll, we'll look at one, one more passage as we pull it together next week. But um, just to kinda, kind of you know, think about how we apply these things, you know, again, Paul wants this comprehensive list uh, of things that pa- pa- you know, Paul wants Timothy to have as kind of this maybe checklist as he's thinking of who can you know, shepherd the church. You know, how is their family? How are their kids? What is their reputation? What are they motivated by? How do they respond when they are provoked? Can they teach? You know, these are just kind of simple questions, right, that, that Timothy can use or, or you know, guidelines to use for those that will oversee and help provide stability because when Timothy's gone, right, that's, again, his role is like to not be there and to stay as a pastor. He's just like Paul where coming for a season and then moving on, that there are those that live in that town, that have their homes in that town, that are there grounded in those towns, and that those are the ones that are, you know, leading the church under the leadership of Christ, right? They can um, be the source of great strength and model and leadership, but they can also be a great source of pain and division uh, within a church if you've ever experienced some of those things. So that's why Paul takes this time to kind of look at, look at these. And he's got a couple other notes that he talks about in 1 Timothy 5, but we'll put a pause on that, look at that, and then look at the next section next week. So any final thoughts, comments, questions?